This is Behold, a VBC podcast. Our goal is to examine biblical truth that will better equip you to behold the glory of the Lord more fully in your daily life. Without further ado, here is the Behold podcast. Okay, well, welcome, and I should say welcome back to the Behold podcast. Uh, we've had a couple weeks off now. You know, we had um, Christmas and New Year's, and then now we are officially in 2021. So welcome, everybody. We are excited for what this year is going to bring for our church family, for you and your individual lives, and, and for the podcast. Now, a lot of you who are part of the VBC family know that um, a little over, little over a week ago, our dear sister, Sarah Mang, went to be home with Jesus. And for those of you that don't know the Mang family, you know, Sarah has had this incredibly rare disease for her entire life. And on its own, the, the fact that she lived to be 40 years old, married with two kids is just absolutely a miracle and, and, and completely unheard of with people with her disease. But then even more than that, like the time that Sarah spent on this earth for those 40 years is just incredible. And everyone who knows her knows that she's just such a warrior for Jesus and for for God and for the transformation that, that Jesus provides in people's lives. And so just with that um, in mind, we wanted to play an audio clip this week for the Behold podcast. And it's from a little ways back when Sarah spoke as a keynote speaker at our women's ministry harvest brunch. And yeah, just, just, we're just going to play this. And at the end, Sarah uh, leads some songs and worships and you can listen to that as well. And man, as you listen, just listen to this woman who has lived a difficult life, but throughout all of that is just so eager to, to glorify God, so eager to point towards Christ and truly demonstrates what an eternal perspective looks like. So again, guys, man, welcome back. We're excited for what 2021 brings for the Behold podcast. So buckle up for this year. And for right now, buckle up as we all behold Christ together through the words of Sarah Mang. Amazing. But I feel like we need to talk about the keynote speaker thing. I have never been... <laughs> a keynote speaker, and I don't think I'm planning on being one again after this, probably. Um, so I would like to pretend that we're at a coffee shop together, a very large one, and we're just sitting, and I'm just sharing my heart with you. Please don't expect this to be polished. It's not going to be. Um, I'm just here to kind of tell you about my relationship with Jesus Christ and how he has shown me over and over again. Here I go. I'm probably going to cry. So I'll get these. Um, his goodness in the midst of suffering. Um, and that it has produced a deeper sense of his love for me. Um, that I could not have experienced any other way. Okay, so let's begin. Um, my introduction to Jesus was because of a donut, if you can believe it. I love donuts. I don't get to eat them as often as I'd like anymore. But I was probably four or five, and I was going to these backyard Bible clubs during the summer. My parents had recently become believers, 
Um, and so this is just something that they thought I should attend. And I noticed the first day at the end of it, they were like, hey, if you'd like to get to know this Jesus guy, come into the living room and we'll talk to you about him. And I was like, no, well, I'm good. I'll just sit here and play the games. Well, a little boy went in and he was gone for a bit and he came out with a smile on his face and a donut. And I was like, where'd he get that thing? <laughs> so a couple of days went by and by the third or fourth day, I was like, all right, I'm onto this. You're telling me that this Jesus saves. <laughs> if I accept him, I won't spend eternity in hell. And it seems like I get a donut out of this too. <laughs> Sounds like a win-win. So I marched myself into that living room and I accepted Jesus and I got a pink frosted donut with sprinkles on top. And I walked out with a smile. Obviously, I didn't understand the magnitude <laughs> of what that decision meant at the time. But I was raised at that point in a Christian home. My parents were going to church and I was going to church. And there was a foundation slowly being built. A few years later, probably when I was six years old, um, is I was playing on the monkey bars at school, fell, hit my leg on this wooden piece that surrounded it, and couldn't walk after that. And the teacher's like, all right. I might have been a little dramatic as a child. And so they were like, she's probably fine, but let's call her mom. My mom came, picked me up, went home, and I would not walk. And this also shows my deep love for donuts. She asked her sister, who was a nurse, to pick up a donut on the way home. And they used this to bribe me to try to get me to walk. They're like, Sarah, if you take one step, you can dive into this delicious old-fashioned chocolate donut. And I refused. And they drove me to the hospital. Um, from that point, there were a lot of different tests. I had broken uh, two bones in my leg, and they casted it, and when the cast came off, I was still limping, and I wasn't healing. And after many uh, medical tests and different doctors, and through honestly was only a divine appointment, I was diagnosed with a rare disease. When I was in second grade, um, my bone was still not fully healed, and I was on crutches still, but getting to the point where I could walk again. And I, tri I was walking with my friend in my friend's house. I tripped on the sidewalk, and I fell and broke the other leg. And so most of second grade was spent in a body cast, which was so fun. Drumsticks, I learned, had more than one purpose. They, um, I don't know if this is... hope everybody's done eating if it's TMI, but I would stick them down and get all the places that would itch. So a lot of second grade was spent in bed or on the couch um, with them trying to figure out what to do. At that point, there was only 40 people in the world diagnosed with this disease, so there was not a lot of info on what was going on. But what they did know were these tumors were eating away at my bones, and they didn't know how to stop it. Um, I, yeah, so the disease kind of just took place like that for a while. Um, and then one day in high school, I came home so tired. And I was telling my mom, like, I don't know what is going on, but I feel like no matter how much I sleep, no matter what I do, I cannot get enough sleep. Like, I'm constantly tired and my mom being the wonderful mom she is, 
um, looked at me, and I was a little bit chubby. I had braces and acne, and I was also going through this phase where I wanted to be a gangster. (laughs) It's not a good phase. She looked at me, and she's like, well, obviously, my special girl has the kissing disease. The boys can't resist her, and she's gotten herself mono. Which, if my life were a movie, this would part where the narrator comes in and is like, Sarah, in fact, did not have the kissing disease. She had not kissed a boy yet, nor would she until she got over that phase that she was going through. So she took me to the doctors, and they did some more tests, and they're like, you know, let's take, a, let's take an x-ray of your lungs just to see if anything's going on. So I went and did it, and I came back, and my mom and I were sitting in the doctor's office. And the doctor came in, and she's like, hey, Tara, can I, can I talk to you for a second? Mom's like, sure. So she stepped out of the room, and I waited there for about 10 minutes. And I was like, this is taking a long time. And my mom, my mom walked back into the room, and I'd never seen her look like that before. She honestly looked like she had just gotten a lot of work done. Like there was a Botox clinic going on somewhere in the doctor's office. She walked in with like this face. And I was like, what's wrong? She's like, nothing. Nothing's wrong. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Something's up with your face, though. What is wrong? And she's like, we just, we're going to have to go to the hospital. And I was like, just tell me what's wrong. And the doctor brought in the x-ray, and one of my lungs was clear, and one of them was black. And what had happened, which we didn't know at the time, part of the disease um, is an overproduction of lymph fluid in my body. It doesn't think it ever has enough. So it's constantly producing more, but it also doesn't know how to get rid of it. And it accumulates in a couple of areas in my body, one being my lung cavity. And so what had happened, it has been accumulating over time, and your lungs are like balloons. And so as it filled up in the lung cavity, cavity, my lung kind of just collapsed. It started to shrink, and it had totally gone away. So uh, I got rushed to the hospital and spent the next, I think, three weeks in ICU at Oakland's Children. And that was the first time I remember um, facing death and realizing um, that I needed Jesus more than it just kind of being like stories I had heard about in childhood. And they couldn't get the fluid to stop. They were draining six liters of it a day, which is kind of nuts. And what they didn't know at the time was it's filled with protein and nutrients that my body needed. So every time they drained it, I'd start to kind of just code almost, basically. They couldn't figure out why it would totally kind of collapse after every time they drained it. So they told my mom, look, there's one thing we can try. It's only been done like 10 times. It's never been done at this hospital. And it's a procedure where they glue your lung to the side of your lung cavity, which apparently now is like a super easy in and out surgery because of technology in today's world. But at that time, out of the 100% they did it, only 20% of people lived. So out of the 10 times, only two people lived, and they'd never done it at that hospital. We had no other choice. 
They didn't tell me that before, which was good. I had no idea going into that it was that dire. But I did know that it was a serious situation. And I experienced a miracle. I, obviously, I lived. I'm here. I'm not a ghost. Um, and I experienced the grace of God in that time. My parents would read scripture over me, and I felt the peace of God in the midst of turmoil. And um, it, was, it was a cornerstone in my life. Four months after that happened, my dad got a new job in Colorado and moved us across the country. And me, being the 14-year-old that I was, was not excited about that. Um, it was incredibly hard. I was leaving all my friends. I had just gone through this crazy experience, and um, I had to completely pick up everything I knew and start over. And so I got angry, and I was like, forget this. And I walked away from the Lord. I was like, I'm not doing this. This is too hard. Even though I had experienced... Um, that it was true, and that his hand in his everything. I, I said, it's too hard. I'm not doing it anymore. Um, so I, I'm not going to get into a ton of it, but I partied a ton in high school and made some really stupid decisions. And I remember my senior year, um, I was sitting at a party with the same people I'd been with over and over and over. And at that moment, I'm telling you, the Lord spoke to me, and I looked up, and in my spirit, he just said, like, is this what you want, like, for the rest of your life? There was a couple of 20-somethings at that party, too, who had been there. And I remember looking at them and him being like, is this the life you want, where you're continuing the same pattern over and over? Like, where do you think this will lead you? And I was like, no, I don't. I know the truth. This is not what I want. So I stopped. I rededicated my life to the Lord, and I decided to go to a Christian college. I went to APU. Woo. Um, <laughs> no one else? Okay. Uh, and I, yeah, it was the first time at that moment that I, going to a Christian college, that I'd ever been immersed in, like, Christian culture, Christian community. I was in Bible classes, in ministry classes. We had chapel every three days, or I don't know what it was. And I had friends who loved the Lord. And at that point, I was learning really, like, what Christians did and who Christians were and what it looked like to live a Christian life. And it was great, and it was a really uplifting, wonderful time. My junior year... Um, I was sitting on the couch in my trailer park home. It was literally like a trailer home, which I loved very much. And I got a phone call from my mom. I could not see her face, but it sounded exactly like she just got a ton of work done and had been to the Botox clinic again. She's like, hey, Sarah. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Why do you ask? And I'm like, I know that voice. What's wrong? And she said, I found a lump in my breast. And sorry, this is not something I talk about very often. I found a lump in my breast um, about a month ago. And we just got results back, and it is cancer. But don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. I'm going to fight it. It's going to be okay. And I was like, how far along is it? 
She's like, it's stage four. And I was like, okay. And my whole world came crashing down. And I got angry. Um, for the next year and a half, my relationship with the Lord became very contractual. I removed my heart from the process. And I said, look, I won't do any of the big sins. Like, I'll live this Christian life. I will do my part as long as you do your part. And I prayed every day for her healing. I didn't sleep with my boyfriend. I went to chapel. I went to church. I did the Christian thing. And I expected him to fulfill his end. That's what my relationship with Christ looked like. I will do my part as long as you do your part. About a year and a half later, she went into remission. And I remember just this feeling of like, okay, like, okay, I guess that worked. That's good. We're cool. We're cool now. And then four months later, we got a phone call, and we found out that it had spread to her liver and her lymph nodes. Uh, and about a year after that, 10 days before my 24th birthday, I woke up to the sounds of my mom dying, and she passed away. And from there, I entered into a really dark, lonely, kind of cold desert season. Um, I decided to stay and live with my dad and my brother because I just did. <laughs> it's a whole other story I don't need to get into. Um, and it was hard. Like, I watched my brother kind of fall apart. I watched my dad walk through, like, incredible loneliness. And I kind of shut down. I knew the foundation that Jesus Christ is, but I did not want to have anything to do with it because my heart was so broken. A year later, almost exactly a year later, Tim Barley um, came down to visit us. And long story short, he offered me a job, and I moved up here. And my journey began with the high school ministry, and I worked at um, the church with high school ministry, sorry. And that's honestly the season I entered into that I call my anchoring season. And I'm going to shift for a second and tell you a story, and it has a point, so just bear with me. <laughs> um, my dad got remarried a while later, so I have, some, I have five stepbrothers and stepsisters who are amazing. One of them is in the process of buying a house right now in the Santa Cruz Mountains, right near where my dad and my stepmom live. And so I was up there a couple of weekends ago, and she comes in, and she's telling me all about it. And she's like, oh, my gosh, it's just down the road. It's on the little hillside. It's so cute. She's showing me all these pictures of it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lindsay, this is amazing. Like, this seems like the perfect scenario. And she goes, yeah, it is. And I was like, what do you mean, yeah? Like, what's wrong? She's like, well, there's just, like, this one little thing. I was like, okay. She's like, eh the house isn't anchored into the foundation. And I was like, okay, look, I'm no contractor. I have watched my fair share of HGTV. I'm pretty sure that's not a good thing, Lindsay, especially in California where we experience earthquakes. 
And she's like, well, the lady that's selling it has lived there a really long time and was in the house for the 89 and said it just like shimmied a little bit. Like it didn't, I was like, okay. So what happens when the next big earthquake comes? Sure, it may not like slide right off, but eventually when enough earthquakes do or just giant gusts of wind, that thing's going to shimmy right off the foundation and go rolling down the mountain. Like, I'm pretty sure that being anchored into the foundation is a necessity. And see, that's what happened to me when my mom died. I was not anchored into Christ. I knew him. The foundation of that house that they want to buy is completely solid. There's nothing wrong with it. The house is just sitting on top of it. And that's how I was living. I knew Christ as a solid foundation, but I wasn't anchored into him. I was living my life in a way as like, okay, I'll, I'll sit on top of this. You have a solid foundation, but I'm going to do my thing, and then you just be the foundation, and you do your thing. And then when, and when my mom died, I slid off the mountain right off that foundation because it wasn't anchored in. And really, that's like abiding. That's where the process of learning what it is to abide, regardless of circumstance, started for me, was coming up here, being in a rich community of believers, having the word taught to me, but also shown that it's more than just reading my Bible as a daily checklist, but actually diving into the living word of God and having it affect the way I live through what he is teaching and saying to us. Um, I love the verse, Matthew 7, 24 and 25. So everyone who hear these words of mine and acts on them, and acts on them, which is the anchoring, right? Like living it out. will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods and torrents came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall because it had been founded on that rock. It's more than just sitting on top of it. It's being anchored into that. And so much of the anchoring for me has been um, not only really diving into the word of God, but prayer and worship. Um, So how are we doing on time? I don't have a clock up here. Um, We're okay. I have the mic, so like, what are you guys going to do, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, Um, so my anchoring season really began when I came up here. Uh, I met my husband up here. He's very handsome. That was a saga in itself. We don't have time, but eventually we got married. Um, This is the part I'm going to breeze through, but just a continual anchoring. Three days into our honeymoon, I broke my hip, my tailbone, a lot of things. Um, We spent our honeymoon in a hospital in a honeymoon suite where he had a chair for a bed. Uh, we came back. We had to move apartments because it was upstairs and I couldn't walk. They couldn't cast me because of where the brakes were, so I just literally had to be carried or in a wheelchair for about a year. Uh, I don't remember how long after that, but I ended up repeating history, and I rebroke it that September. Um, I started to heal I started to walk, and it 
refractured again. My husband lost his job. He crashed the car because he's very tired for some reason. I don't know why. Um, a lot of stuff happened, you guys, that I'm not even going to get into. But during that time, it was a continual process of relying on the Lord and his grace and true goodness, and it was an anchoring into him, and it also, more than anything, too, was an anchoring into each other of learning how to love each other well through the process, and it was monumental in our marriage. Um, Okay, so we didn't know if we could have kids because of my disease. I was told often that it wasn't even an option, but along came Jude, and that pregnancy was pretty good for the most part. Okay, here we go. Five months after Jude was born, my son was five months old, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. She was a surprise. She was a happy surprise, but I was not ready (laughs) to have another child. Um, My body had not fully recovered from Jude, but I was like, Jude was a miracle. There's no way I'm going to get pregnant again. Joke's on me. Um, Although, obviously, sorry, Poor Stella. I love her so much, and I would do anything for her over and over. Um, Stella's pregnancy went wonderful um, for the most part when I was pregnant with her. There were no complications. I was like, okay, like I think I got this thing down. We're going to be fine. Went to the hospital. There were some complications with the C-section, but nothing totally major. And then after I had her, I started to hemorrhage. Um, I had to have a couple of blood transfusions in the hospital, but they got it under control, and they sent me on my way um, home with some medical stuff, but for the most part, it was fine. I think it was six days or seven days later, we decided to go visit my aunt up in Roseville, and I woke up one morning, and I just wasn't feeling right, and I couldn't figure it out, but obviously, I just had a kid, so I was like, I'm probably just tired, need more coffee. Um, about an hour and a half later, my aunt and my husband were calling 911 because I was coding. And what we didn't know was that I had contracted a double blood infection um, about six days earlier while I was hemorrhaging in the hospital. And because of my disease, the fluid um, was producing heavily over and over because my body was freaking out with the double blood infection, but what was doing it was rapidly spreading it across my body. So by the time the paramedics um, were there, they they could barely lift me up, like I was clamping down. And that kind of started the process of what I call the Stella incident, but need to change, because I'm sure she'll need therapy if I keep calling it that. So (laughs) I spent the next three weeks in ICU, at a Kaiser up in Roseville, they could not get it under control, no matter how many antibiotics and procedures they did. Again, my lungs were filling up with the fluid, my abdomen was filling up, and every time they drained it, I'd start to code. Um, They asked my family to fly out. I have family all over and ones in Hawaii, and they asked my brother to fly out to say goodbye. They were like, she is not gonna make it. They were preparing my husband sorry, who had an eight-day-year-old at home and a freaking 15-month-old because we, you know, don't know about birth control, apparently. (laughs) 
Just kidding. You guys, I really am glad that I had Stella. I feel like this. Um, but the, the idea of, you know, that was incredibly hard. But because of the anchoring that had been done in my life, <clears throat> there was honestly a peace that came over me. The first day that it happened, when they rushed me into the emergency room, I was lying on the emergency room table, and they had a cut into my neck to put a port into it so they could put adrenaline into my heart because it was looking like it was going to stop. And I remember being, at that point, like, oh, this is serious. Like, this is not just going to be a couple of antibiotics and on my way. Like, something's going down. And I remember Charlie, like, walking into the room at that point, and I was under this weird plastic thing, and I couldn't see his face, but I remember him walking into the room, and I could almost hear the breath, like, being taken away. And it was at that moment that the peace of God, like, scripture came flooding back to my mind about who God is and who I am because of it, that I can experience his peace in the midst of absolute chaos, and that more than anything, I can trust his heart, regardless of any circumstance. And it was balm to my soul at that moment. Um, so you fast forward them telling me, like, you're not going to make it, make preparations for her to go. And the very next day, there was a sudden turnaround, which literally can only be described as a miracle. The guy that was taking care, the guy, the doctor, I think they prefer that. <laughs> um, that dude um, came in and said, there's, we don't have a word to describe this scientifically, what happened to you. I was like, okay, well, I'm not that smart, but I'm pretty sure I have a word for you. It's a miracle. Um, the Lord healed me, period. Like, the fluid went down. They were able to get the blood infection under control with antibiotics. And I think I spent another five days in the hospital and I was home. There was a lot of recovery after that. Um, but he healed me. So let's fast forward. I'm running out of time. I'm so sorry. But soon after that, I, you know, just had this crazy experience in this ICU. The Lord saved my life. There were so many God moments in it. And about four months later, after a ton of healing, I had to live up near that Kaiser for a while. Um, I found myself back home with a four-month-old and however old that would make Jude, young, six, I don't know, 19. Thank you. Thank you. 19 month old. Um, my husband was back to working. He wasn't here at the time. He was at Whole Foods and he was working crazy, crazy hours. And I was entering to working too in ministry. And it felt real mundane, real fast. I don't know what I was expecting, like coming out of the hospital, if I was like gonna write a book and like go on a book tour and get super famous, be like, here's what God did. Like, no, that's not, I don't write usually at all or read books for that matter, which I should probably start. Um, but I thought it was gonna be more for some reason than just changing a thousand diapers a day and living off of coffee. Um, and that's when the settling season came. I know that there's a lot of speakers right now that are like, find your why, and you have purpose, and 
do more than, I don't know, you're doing. But <laughs> he very much called me to settle. And not just like in, a, in the bad, con- I think settling has a bad connotation, but it was to settle into him and what he had for me each day, period. To not go beyond what he had in front of me that day. And it was a hard season, but it was incredibly rich and life-giving in the sense that settling into each day helped me develop a sense of his goodness and his love even more, and that there are amazing, holy moments with Jesus and the incredibly mundane things that I found purposeless or not important that often in my life, that's where the deep work, and absolutely through those four years, that's where a lot of the deep work happened, that the anchoring was there and it continued, but the settling in to every day and asking, like, what do you have me for this day brought me to a new level in my relationship with him. And there's a verse that I love. It says, um, it's Matthew 6. Oh, sorry, I want to tell this to you. Through that time, um, there was a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I, I left the hospital thinking that I should only be grateful that I survived that incident. And so what I kind of did through the settling season at first was shut my heart off to dealing with the trauma that kind of came with it and the hurt and the broken pieces that occurred um, and I maintained an attitude, which was not correct, but like, I should only be grateful that I survived this and I'm going to be happy and I'm just going to be like, yes, this is it. And that's not what God wanted. Um, he wanted my heart, my whole heart and the broken parts of it and for me to bring that to him. And that's part of the process of what happened to the settling into each day. I had a ton of anxiety. I had panic attacks. And as those things bubbled up, they were moments and opportunities for me to deal with my heart before the Lord, like, I don't understand why you allowed this to happen, A, B, and C, but I want to talk about it. And he wanted to enter in with me into those moments so that he could heal and restore and make my heart whole in that, if that makes sense. Um, So in Matthew 6, it says, but first and most importantly, he's talking before that about how the Lord feeds the birds and clothes the flowers and how much more we are worth than tiny little birds and beautiful flowers and that he will do the same for us and that first and most importantly, we are to seek and strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right and all these things will be given to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own, which is kind of like, oh, geez. But also very settling to know that he gives their numeracies each and every morning to handle what he gives us in each and every day. Um, Band, you can come up wherever you are. Um, Through that season of settling came an understanding of the importance of thanksgiving, that that really can be a war cry in our lives when discontentment arises, when frustration, when hurt, when I find myself waking up and being like, I don't get it, like this is it, I'm seriously in this place again, that if I 
have an attitude of thanksgiving before the Lord. And sometimes it's really simple. Like, I have a really good shower. My shower has really good pressure. And it can start as simple as, Lord, thank you that this shower is amazing. And it cultivates an attitude of understanding that it is by his hand and his alone that everything I have um, is from him. And that I really, truly don't deserve anything. Um, and so that's something else he cultivated in that season is just how important Thanksgiving is and that it really can be our battle cry in the midst of suffering and hardships. Um, it hasn't been all unicorns and roses since all of this. Last year, I found myself back in ICU, mainly because I just felt like I needed more attention, I think. Like, it wasn't about me anymore. Just kidding. Um, it's another longer story, but through that, he really taught me that often um, we want to know the why in suffering. Why did that happen to me? Why did you allow this? Why is this um, a potential in my life? And, and through his kindness, he has shown me that I want the why, but I don't need it because I can trust his heart. I can trust his sovereignty, and I can trust his goodness, and I can trust that he will it's not that he maybe will, that he absolutely will restore and redeem the broken places of my heart. And I still have broken places that we're working on together. Um, and ultimately that he's the good in suffering. I think sometimes we want our Job story. We're like, where are my thousands of sheep or whatever it is? Um, I want my pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But the good in suffering is suffering itself in Jesus Christ, that he gives more and more of himself in the midst of suffering and that we can know him, which is an amazing thing, right? Like we will never know Jesus through suffering except for this side of heaven. Like that will not exist in the eternal. Like this is the opportunity to know him through suffering. And suffering is subjective. Sometimes suffering for me is that my kids have had way too much Halloween candy and I have had way too little coffee to deal with what was going on. Suffering is very subjective, but Christ remains the same in it. And ultimately through it all, When the fear comes in, like, my disease is terminal, but it hasn't been. Like, ultimately, it's not going to be ter terminal until he decides that it's my time to go. So when the fear creeps in, when I look at my kids and I look at my husband and I think, is this it? Like, I know a lot of you know, but recently in July, I found myself, the fluid came back in my abdomen. I gained 40 pounds fluid in my abdomen, like, overnight. Um, and there were moments, and there was a day where I was like, is this it? Like, is this how I'm going to go sitting on my bed looking way more pregnant than I've ever looked in my life? And the fear creeps in, but it can be dispelled in an instant when I stop and think, like, this disease has no power over my life unless God says it's my time, and I can trust that wholeheartedly. And because of what Christ did on the cross for us, he gave up his own 
life so that we can enter into relationship with him. Not to live by all these rules and be perfect, but to enter into a living relationship with the living sovereign God of the universe. I know and I can stand and I can rest upon that I, I will never be alone. I will always be loved. I will always be wanted. I will never be hopeless even when my circumstances dictate otherwise, and that my future is secure, and that I can trust him completely, no matter what, with my whole heart, and especially with the broken pieces of my heart. I can hand over each piece to him and say, this is yours. And I trust you with it because he has not failed me and he will not. And I know it. So we're going to go into a time of singing. Um, And I picked these two songs because I really like them. (laughs) Um, But they speak about who God is. And the first one talks about um, that we cannot be separated from him regardless and his love for us. And the second one talks about his goodness and that we can experience that in the land of the living regardless of our circumstances too. So I'm gonna encourage you guys to listen, but to also participate if you'd like as we sing. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, then you've been like, what is she talking about this whole time? Um, I encourage you to think about um, questions you might have. Maybe ask the person that brought you. Come ask me. Come ask any of the team that's been up here. We'd love to talk to you about what he freely offers us, a relationship with the living God, hope and a way through really hard circumstances and ultimately an eternal life with him, with Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start to sing. Lord God, I thank you that through your son and what he did on the cross, because of what he did, that we have hope as his children, that regardless of anything we have faced or anything we will face, there is a solid foundation that we can anchor ourselves into and stand firm and that we will experience your goodness in the midst of hardships because you promise it. Lord, may we glorify you in these last moments together through these songs and through conversations afterwards that you would work deeply in our hearts, that you would be lifted high, and that you would heal the places in our hearts that maybe need to be healed. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.
invite you guys to stand and sing this last one with us.
Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, amen and hallelujah. We hope that as you've listened to Sarah speak and sing that you're encouraged, that you your eyes are looking up, that you have an eternal perspective. And those of you that, that knew and loved Sarah like, like we did, ma'am, uh, I hope that you are as eager as we are to be in her presence once again one day in the presence of our dear Savior Jesus. We love you guys. Thanks for listening this week, and we'll tune in with you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes of Behold. If you would like more information about Valley Bible Church, or if you'd like resources from this episode, go ahead and check out vbc.online forward slash behold. Catch you guys next week.